Tonight, we're honored to be joined by three distinguished UVA law grads. Professor Micah Schwartzman is the director of the Karsh Center for Law and Democracy at UVA and teaches courses in law and religion, political philosophy, and constitutional law. He's a double who and received his JD in 2005 after serving as an articles development editor on the Virginia Law Review. Judge Daniel Bress was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in 2019. He also received his JD from UVA Law in 2005, where he served as the editor-in-chief of the Virginia Law Review. He went on to clerk for Judge Wilkinson on the Fourth Circuit and Justice Scalia on the Supreme Court. Before his appointment to the bench, he taught as an adjunct professor at UVA Law and the Columbus School of Law at Catholic University and worked in private practice in both San Francisco and Washington, D.C. Judge J. Harvey Wilkinson was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in 1984. After serving in the Army, he received his JD from UVA in 1972 and then clerked for Justice Powell in the Supreme Court. Before his appointment to the bench, he taught at UVA Law and served in the Civil Rights Division at DOJ. Judge Wilkinson has authored numerous editorials, law review articles, and books, and is the recipient of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation Medal, which is UVA's highest external honor. Well, thanks so much again, and I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Professor Schwartzman. Thanks, Chloe, uh, and thanks uh, to the UVA Federal Society chapter for hosting this event. Uh, I feel like we, we started planning something like this, um, it must have been about a year ago, uh, right? Uh, so it's really wonderful to have with us uh, Judge Wilkinson and Judge Bress. Um, I will say, um, uh, they are both good friends. Judge Bress was uh, a classmate of mine in law school and, uh, and even my boss because he was editor-in-chief of the Virginia Law Review when I was, uh, when I was uh, the articles development editor. So um, these bring back lots of fond memories. And, and I actually want to start out with a question uh, about some fond memories, and that is um, to ask you about your path into law. But I think that really starts with coming to law school. So I thought maybe I could begin with uh, how did you find your way to law school and especially to UVA? And maybe you could tell us if you have a fond memory from, from being here, our favorite class or a professor, uh, we'd love uh, to hear about, about that. Uh, maybe I can start with you, Judge Wilkinson. Welcome. Well, thank you, Micah. Um, just a few uh, words, if I may. Um, well, first of all, I want to, um, uh, express my appreciation for everything that you and Leslie have meant to the law school. I, I, I um, that's Dean Kendrick to the students. Um, but I've um, heard from so many people about your teaching and your scholarship and your mentorship and everything, and you uh, have added so immensely to the life of the law school. And I just wanted to say what a privilege it's it is to. Um, to be with you, and um, I want also to um, express my great respect for the Federalist Society and the work that it does um, on law schools um, across the country, and I can't imagine a, um, a campus environment without you and the contributions that you've made, and um, you know, diversity has many components, and it's absolutely indispensable um, to have a group that believes uh, uh, strongly in the in the rule of law. And I hope that those who are members of the Federalist Society will take pride in that fact and continue to um, express themselves uh, uh, at all occasions with great courtesy and decorum, but also great um, conviction. But congratulations to those of you who are members of this esteemed group. And I also want to say um, just what a privilege it was, what a privilege it is to be on a program with um, Dan Bress and um, who clerked for me and I asked, uh, I asked him if I could call him Dan, and he said, "No, you've got to you've got to address me as Judge Bress." And um, so I have to I have to uh, worry a little bit about whether he's going to return my phone calls. But um, 
there was somebody that stopped by the office the other day, and um, I thought they'd stop by to see me. And their first question was, well, now, can you um, can you tell me what office did George Brass clerk uh, in? I said, well, I guess I'm just chopped liver. They said, no, 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 I just want to know what office um, Judge Bress clerked in because we admire him um, so much. And um, anyway, uh, um, when Dan was, um, normally I'd have to push my clerks a little bit to work hard on something and everything. Uh, with Dan, I had to say, now, Dan, don't work too hard because his work ethic is absolutely legendary. But I can't even begin to express my respect and affection for, for Judge Brass. So already, he is one of the finest judges in, the, in this country. Um, he was one of my very best law clerks, and he has remained a very dear and loyal friend. And so I just wanted to say how happy it makes me, uh, Micah and, and Dan, to be with the two of you all. Well, I guess, um, Judge, I got to respond to that. Uh, let, me, let me echo some of the points you made and say first, just what a, what a privilege it is to be here. I, you know, one of my great hopes, especially after I took on this job, was that I could spend even more time in Charlottesville. And COVID has made that so difficult, but um, I just want to thank the law school and the Federalist Society, and particularly all the students who are tuning in. I think, um, you know, I have such fond memories of being a law student there. It was a formative part of my career, and um, I know exactly uh, the life you're leading. And I honestly, sometimes I wish I could go back in time and relive it because it was so enjoyable. I, um, let me say a word about um, both Professor Schwartzman and, and Judge Wilkinson. Professor Schwartzman and I now go back, um, I feel like, it feels like to the beginning of time, but really maybe it's, it's when everything began. Um, you know, we knew each other when we were much younger. He, he jokes that he was my boss. I always felt like it was the opposite. I think, um, I wanted to find the smartest person to be a study partner with, and that was um, Professor Schwartzman. But I, I echo uh, Micah what, what Judge Wilkinson had to say. For those of us who love UVA and law school, it gives us a tremendous source of pride and comfort to know that you are there and that Leslie is there. And one thing I would um, say to all the students uh, who, are, who are listening is, um, you know, people like Mike and Leslie and, and the Dean and so many others making tremendous contributions to the law school. And um, for those of us who are, who are alumni, which we all are, it's just a huge source of pride to, uh, to follow your career and to have you educating the next um, group of lawyers. And Judge, this may be the only call you ever call me Judge Brass. In fact, I think once I, I took on this job, you, you made a point of, of just letting me know you were not going to call me that. Uh, so I'll, I'll enjoy this moment while it lasts, but, um, you know, Judge, it's just great to, uh, it's just great to be on this call with you, and, um, you know, I, you were the one who gave me really my first job in law, and I feel like I've owed a tremendous part of my career, if not all of it, to your guidance and your help and your training, and so much of that really was through uh, the common culture of, um, of UVA Law School. So it's great to be on this with you. I don't know if this is, I, I may be living two of my worst nightmares. Micah listening in on a conversation I'm having with Judge Wilkinson or Judge Wilkinson listening in on a conversation I'm having with Micah. But either way, I'm happy to participate. And um, you know, thanks, thanks again for having me. But, but now you have to answer my question, which is, which is about fond memories at UVA and maybe like a favorite class or a standout moment from when you were law students, or maybe just tell us something about how you found your way to the law school. Well, um, one of the things, um, I, I chose UVA to begin with because um, Virginia was home to me, and um, I, I went to um, uh, School at um, 
the high school at the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey. And then I went to Yale to undergraduate school. But I always knew I wanted to um, come back to Virginia um, and come back to Virginia Law School because uh, it was one of the finest um, law schools in the country. And I couldn't believe my good fortune um, in um, having such an incredibly good law school in my home state. And um, even after having gone elsewhere to uh, high school and college, I wanted to, I wanted to come home. And um, home has always been Virginia to me. And um, I'm proud to be known as a Virginian. And my dad brought me to um, 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 Virginia when he was two years old, when I, before I was two years old. And he said, if I bring him to Virginia um, uh, really early, he'll get a Southern accent and won't bedevil me with something else. So I've, I've been um, really at Virginia for a very young age. And Virginia is home. And there's something, um, there's something beautiful about the whole notion of home. Um, wherever it may be, uh, for, for me, Virginia's home for others. It might be Nebraska or New Mexico, California, or or um, someplace abroad. But um, the, the longer I'm, I'm at this, um, I just think there's something, maybe we've lost a, a little bit of a sense of just how much home can mean to us and the um, comfort and peace of mind and joy it can um, convey just for being around around family and friends that you grew up with. And and the University of Virginia represented all those things um, to me. And, you know, in the very, just to boil it down in the very simplest terms, um, Virginia's home, the University of Virginia's home. I love the notion of home. I'm really, I really wanted to be there. So that's why I chose it. <laughs> and Micah, I guess I would say I, I come at it from a slightly different perspective. I, <clears throat> I'm not a Virginian, but I, um, I was very attracted to the place when I, I came there. And uh, it was for a couple of reasons. One, I just felt that Charlottesville as a town and a place was um, very welcoming. And um, the community at UVA was one that was engaged and Yet at the same time, there wasn't, um, there was lots of friendships. You know, I could see that. Uh, and that certainly was something that remained true for me for my whole life. I would say my best friends are, are people I met in law school. And my best memories, honestly, are probably all my times um, in our study group. You know, we, Micah and I had a study group. It was, it was held at, the, at Micah's infamous Turtle Creek apartment. Um, and... Uh, we had a great time there. Some of it was talking law, but some of it wasn't. And um, those are probably my best memories, learning from, uh, learning from friends and studying together. And of course, one of my, are you gonna respond to that? You have a, you have a... No, you're giving away all the secrets is all I'm saying. And we probably have to mention somewhere here, Charles Fischett, wherever you are, thanks for everything that you taught us. Yeah, there was, yeah, he was the one who taught both of us, but it was, those were great memories. And I'll tell you one of my, my, my favorite memories of the law school was over winter break when I was studying there, um, working on a paper. Um, that'll just show you, I guess, how I spent some of my law school time, but I was there in the library with um, my now wife, Lisa, and we were both working on projects and a man and a woman walked in and Lisa said, you know, I think that's actually Justice Scalia. And I said, no, it, it couldn't be. And she said, no, I think it is. This was before the internet was, was as big as it was and you had to recognize people by face. And so I, I said, okay, well, this is probably gonna be my only opportunity to ever meet him. So I'm just gonna go up and see if it actually is him. And I did, and all I could think to say was, are you Justice Scalia? And he, he said, yeah, somebody has to be. And that was, that was the end of the conversation. So. Um, that was a, that was a good memory among many others. One of the things uh, that Virginia has, um, and I think it's been through for been the case for many decades, 
um, is it, is it just has a feel of a neighborhood or a, uh, a village um, in all kinds of ways. I love the small section concept that I started off with, and I have a wonderful professor, Walter Wadlington, who invited us to his home and um, um, would willingly spend time with us. And of course, there are so many great urban law schools um, in this country, um, but I don't know if they have the same sense of community because people um, can sometimes commute in and then commute back. But um, at Virginia, at least when I was there as a student and also when I was a teacher, the faculty remained uh, actually accessible and, and um, um, in the building um, for a large part of the day. And um, it was not an unheard of thing when I was uh, having studying and having um, a problem with something. I said, well, why don't I just go ask a professor this? And so I'd knock on the door and he, we would, we would uh, strike up a conversation. And I don't know that that would have been possible at a, another law school um, to the degree it was at UVA. And then when I became a professor at UVA, I said, the one thing I'm not going to do is post office hours um, because that makes students feel like Oh gosh! If I don't show at two to three at three p.m. on Thursday afternoon, I can't show at all. Um, and so, if you if you uh, if you post these office hours, you send a notice of exclusion for, for non-office hours. <laughs> and um, I didn't feel like that was very consistent with the Virginia tradition that I had known and loved as a student. I think you would find it's still the case, or at least I, I hope it is. Although obviously COVID makes makes all this more difficult, but we'll um, I think we'll hopefully be back uh, to our our regular open door habits um, soon. Let me um, let me before I continue uh, invite the students who are on this call, uh, and there's a great group now. So if you have questions, um, I'm happy to field them as um, as they come. I, I have a set of my own, but it, uh, but. I just want to invite all of you, if you've got questions, you can begin to post them and I'll, um, I'll try to convey them um, as we go. Um, so my next question to you is about the beginning of your careers after law school. Both of you clerked for the Supreme Court, um, but then you took different paths. And I, I wonder if you, if you might reflect back on those early choices and why you went in the directions that you did and maybe whether you had some larger plan if there was a, you know, if, if you had imagined yourself already five years out or 10 years out, let alone uh, further than that. But I, I, you know, most of the students on this call are, I think, in the process of, of trying to sort out what the beginnings of their careers will look like. And I, I think it might be helpful for them to hear about how you conceived of yours. Uh, again, I'm happy to start. Dan, why don't you start off? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I wish I could tell you there was some grand plan, but there wasn't. And um, I hope if you're a student that gives you some comfort. You know, I think there's a danger in over-programming and, and, and being too rigid. And, and for me, I was somebody who just loved law school. I, I came to law school and I found that um, it fit me well, uh, UVA fit me well. And so my, my first job out of law school was obviously to go and clerk for the judge. And that was, um, it was a great experience, a life-changing experience. And of course, I know many students are interested in clerking and I, of course, strongly encourage it. But Micah, I had a sense that I would go into private practice, but I hadn't thought too deeply about it. Um, you know, I, a lot of times you find out that you're interested in something that you didn't really realize you were interested in before. And for me, that was sort of the case. I had a lot of training in what was essentially appellate work. And when I, was done clerking on the Supreme Court, I sort of felt like there might be um, another aspect to law that I might be good at. Um, and so I ended up doing more trial work in addition to appellate work. And for me, that was a great fit because it, it sort of exercised all the muscles. Um, but really what I, what I did along the way was, was just kind of constantly ask myself, is this what I wanna be doing? And 
even when you stay within a single law firm, which today is increasingly less common, there are ways to make course corrections and make adjustments. And of course, you rely greatly on your mentors um, to help you think through those issues. And for me, you know, when that when I was thinking about making a change or making an adjustment, uh, Judge Wilkinson was usually the first call I would make. And um, but I would tell I would tell you as a general matter, especially the students, that I wouldn't be too concerned about it. I think you should be happy in what you're doing, uh, but you also have to remember that change doesn't happen overnight. So you could find yourself in a in a job where you might be um, not enjoying it for that month, but <clears throat> you make an adjustment and things all of a sudden uh, change. But I loved being a lawyer. I mean, for me, being a lawyer was was terrific fun. Um, I actually enjoyed the business aspect of law too, which which was a surprise. Um, but I also mostly just had a passion for law as a medium. And that really began at the law school and in my clerkships. Now, one of the, um, uh, the points that um, Dan made that I think is so wise, um, and that is that don't necessarily try to think 20 years down the road. Um, don't try to plot out a career and um, uh, too far into the future because you won't be you won't be alert to opportunities that come along in front of you that you'd never um, um, planned on. And um, another thing I would reemphasize um, is that uh, you really want to do what you love. Um, you, you know, you don't you don't want to do things for other people's approbation necessarily. It's not. It's not a question of what's going to impress your friends. Um, it's not a pr question primarily of what is going to please your parents. Um, there are all sorts of re all sorts of other people you may want to please secondarily, but the primary focus um, has to be on what you would love to do. What would make you happy when you get up on Monday morning? That would you would actually want to go to work? and get into it and um it's important to take a job for what you love to do and not instrumentally because it's going to help you in some way that you really won't be able to figure advance to the next step because if everything is just instrumental and you take one step in order to get to another step you've cheated yourself out of enjoying the moment and you know your um, your 30s and 40s, they're great decades, and you have your health and your energy, and and enjoy those years, and do um, do things that really appeal to you. Um, one thing I thought, my 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 choices were somewhat unorthodox. I I think. Um, but I took the view that because I didn't want to do these things because I love them. And, and I thought that um, I would be better at the law um, and, and a better lawyer and eventually, I think, a, a better judge if I went outside the law for some of my experiences so when I was in my 20s, I, I decided to run for Congress and um, that um, I got the Republican nomination and I was a law student when I ran for Congress and my opponent had this slogan, uh, send Satterfield back to Congress and Wilkinson back to school. Well, that's okay with me. Um, I was running for the experience. I love the campaign and I learned a lot about politics and the political world, which has helped me, I think, become a judge. And then um, I wanted to uh, go into journalism for a good while. And so I became a, a newspaper editor, the editor of the editorial page um, of the Norfolk Virginian Pilot. And um, I love just getting up and and going to the office and writing editorials and columns and everything about things that um, I really uh, believed in and um, got to really ex uh, get on a, a soapbox in a responsible way every day. Um, 
And I thought, well, you know, that's a good way for me to learn about zoning boards and housing commissions and all of those things that people that affect people's everyday lives. And then I wanted to go into government and get some of that. So I went with the Department of Justice and the Reagan administration. And um, and so I don't think you necessarily need to have your uh, career decisions follow a strict legal track. I think what you need to do is avoid the midlife crisis that really will hit people in their mid mid 40s or in 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 middle age and the way in which you can do that i think is to do something you just like to do it gets that it gets that that simple not the most prestigious thing necessarily but something that really makes you feel like you're making a meaningful contribution here and something that's going to satisfy you in the evenings when you drive home. So I, we had one question from a student, but I think Judge Wilkinson, you just answered it, which was about your uh, running for office. Um, how did you find yourself in consideration for a judgeship uh, for an Article Three position? And I, I'll ask you the same question, Judge Grass. So you, um, I, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your pathway into the judiciary. Um, about what is that, Micah? If you could tell us about your pathway into the judiciary, how did you find yourself under consideration for the bench? Well, it, it took me by surprise. Um, I was in the Reagan administration as a, um, working in the, the Civil Rights Division and John Judge Butts, Judge John Butzner retired, and there was a Virginia seat open. And a lot of my friends in the Justice Department um, were um, were anxious to have me put my name forward, and um, um, I, it wasn't something that I planned on doing all my life. But when the opportunity was presented to me, I thought it was something I would. I would absolutely love to do. I don't think I ever counted on the confirmation process being as arduous um, as it was. We were had to go through. Uh, I was hanging fire before the Senate for the better part of a uh, of a year, and. Um, there were they had to take cloture votes and there were filibusters and everything to get me through. I thought at the time it was it was terrible, and now I see some of the things that people have gone through after me, um, beginning with Judge Bork. And so I think maybe in retrospect I didn't have it so bad um, after all. Um, but you know it was a controversial time, and um it was it was worthwhile for me i i think it's um, but it 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 was controversial and um and um you know we got to the point where um my mother was so upset about it and the things that were um being said and and written about it that we had to make arrangements for her to go to um, New Hampshire and in, with, with some friends and have, and, and she went up to a little cottage um, by Squam Lake. And the whole point of, of having her go to Squam Lake was so that she couldn't read the paper or listen to the radio or, or hear what was was being said, which isn't, you know, it, it, it's not always that pleasant. And um, so it, you have to be prepared for the fact that that, that might be um, a possibility. Things are so so polarized right now. And I, I feel particularly sorry for people in private practice that have to put their practice on hold um, while the confirmation process is going on. The the good thing about it, though, is um, that if you get through it, you're there for life. And um, 
and I can understand that the political process ought to have a a real input and uh, there's a reason for the unpleasantness, and that is that they, the, the political process gets only one chance to weigh in. And they're, especially if you're nominated at a very young age, they're thinking to themselves in the Senate, oh, this person's going to be on for a long, long time. We better do what we can to find out who we're getting, or we better do what we can to stop the person at all costs. But I don't have a problem with that because uh, I think that the political process has got to have some say um, in, in who judges are, given the fact that when we assume office, we're not subject to electoral accountability. So we have to be subject to some kind of accountability and a, a rigorous confirmation process is, is what that's all about. Although, you know, and I think Dan would would um, uh, back me up on this. It, it 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 can be quite it can be it can be it doesn't necessarily need to be, but it can be quite unpleasant. And um, at the same time, you, you understand it. You should prepare yourself um, for what you know for what's coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with with so much of what you just said, and there's a there's a common experience that I think that those of us in this line of work have have gone through, you know, as, as you go through the process and, and get to this point. Micah, in my case, um, you know, this was not something I had really thought about other than perhaps in, in the very dark recesses of my mind or in the middle of a dream at some point. I, I was happy doing what I was doing. I liked being a lawyer. I had part-time gigs doing law teaching first at UVA and then in uh, at the Catholic University in Washington that that sort of scratched that itch for me and um, you know I think law students will appreciate that that so much of being a lawyer is your reputation and once you've been doing this for a while people know who you are and the the connections you make in law school and through clerking prove to be connections that last with you for the rest of your life. Um, and in my case, I, you know, I had to reach out to ask whether that was some, this was something I was interested in. And it caught me very much by surprise. Um, and I did what I usually do when I have to make big decisions, which is I, I talked with my wife at length about it and talked to people I trust, uh, both those who probably share my legal views more often than not, and those that don't. In fact, I remember very well, Micah, having conversations with you about it, and of course with the judge, and thinking, is this something I should do, and is this something people would want me to do? And um, I decided that it, there were some risks um, associated with it. I mean, I had a very good private practice. I have wonderful clients, and um, you know, sometimes these processes can go sideways on you. But at the same time, I felt that um, this was a way to make a contribution to um, really to the rule of law and to the United States. And it was that that motivated me more than anything else. Um, I think that, you know, the, the process can be a difficult one, any, any Senate confirmation process is, but at the same time, in some ways it prepares you for what um, you're gonna spend the rest of your life doing, which is people um, criticizing you. And, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the great things about America is that you know you can issue a decision and people can can scream from the hilltops that it's wrong and that's what makes this a great country. But in our position, you need to be ready for criticism, whether it's fair or unfair. Um, and I think um, one has to be prepared for all of that. But I'm, you know, I had um, seen firsthand the the contributions somebody could make to the judiciary through Judge Wilkinson, later through Justice Scalia. And I felt like this was a risk worth taking for me. Judge Wilkinson mentioned uh, being nominated at a fairly young age uh, and the process that the Senate has to go through in thinking about uh, a judge's longevity on the bench. I wanted to ask you about that. I have an interest in this issue about the ages of judges at their nomination. Both of you were nominated at fairly young ages, if I'm not mistaken, at age 39. And um, especially to Judge Wilkinson, I, I wonder if you, looking back, think it's a, a good idea to nominate judges at younger ages um, and whether there's anything 
that you know now about the job that uh, you might have wanted to know back then? Well, um, I think it, it uh, I think more and more it's become the thing now to uh, um, nominate someone at a very young age and think, well, we're going to get um, a, a, someone of a particular philosophy for many years to come. And, um, you know, that <clears throat> that may or may not um, be true, because if you nominate someone in their 30s, it may be that in their mid-50s, their, um, their children are going to be facing, uh, going through college, and the judge is going to be facing some very steep tuition payments. And um, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes if you put somebody on at 39, you can't tell at, at age 59 whether they're going to be the person you thought they were or whether they've moved in a different um, in a different direction. And, um, and we've had... Um, uh, there have been a number of people who have uh, were nominated at very young ages, and some of them have have left the bench. Um, and I can understand why they did it, um, but at the same time, um, I don't. Uh, I think there's also something to be said for um, if you are nominated to the bench, you should. Um, retire while on the on the bench, but I can certainly understand people who who really um, have a whole lot of expenses um, that are are facing them as their children um, grow grow older. Um, but I it, it, there's an advantage I think um, in having younger judges on the bench. And the advantage is, is this. Um, one of the dangers facing the judiciary is that it can become superannuated. And um, you can look at uh, a um, uh, some of the um, pictures of the Supreme Court in the 1890s or the 1920s or the you know, even the 1950s, and you can tell at a glance, and that same is true of pictures of the courts of appeals, and you can tell it at a at a at a glance that they are septuagenarians and octo octogenarians um, are predominate, and um, and and they're in general very rather senior senior uh, judges. And I'm not sure that having a bench that is heavily stacked with with very senior, with, with judges that are very senior in age, I'm not sure that's a good idea because um, you want the judges to, uh, not to be out of touch with the current generation and with what's happening um, with younger people in their 30s and 40s well, some of that we can get from our clerks, but I think there is a um, a danger if you don't have younger judges that you're going to have a bench that's generationally um, out of touch, and you're going to have the public looking and and at, at, at pictures of people who, with all of them having gray hair, and saying. Do these judges really understand what's going on in my life, and hasn't 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 time passed them by, or hasn't life changed, or the whole issues before the country changed um, uh, more than what they would what they would recognize? So I think you want a certain amount of new blood to prevent that impression. Judge Bress, you want to field that one? I'm happy to. 
I, I think that, look, there, you, you've written about a lot of this, Mike, and I read your most recent article um, with a lot of interest. I think that uh, a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I think there's a lot of value to uh, what Judge Wilkinson says. I think that there can be, um, there can be value in having uh, sort of an intergenerational bench. There can be value in, in intergenerational friendships across ages within a court. Um, I, think, I think those are all um, can be and likely are beneficial to the development of the law and to um, reaching common under, understandings about the law when possible. I think though that, um, you know, age is, is sort of a proxy and different people uh, are in different places in their lives when they're a certain age. And I think that the, the question to me is less about age as a general matter and more about the specific person. And I think that there are right, the right reasons, you know, to get to want to be in this line of work. And there are probably some reasons that are not as good. I'll tell you, most of the work is done very much in private, you know, nobody sees it. And um, I'm not gonna describe it as glamorous because a lot of it is highly technical. And I saw that when I was clerking for the judge and I saw it when I was clerking for Justice Scalia. And many of the legal problems that, um, that come up on a day-to-day -day basis, they can be extremely important problems, but they're not necessarily ones that um, are gonna be on the front page of the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal. And so I think if you're, if you're the age I was, you need to make sure you're, you're going into this eyes wide open um, and understanding just what the job entails, because I think that's what breeds long-term success and happiness um, in the job. It's, it's not enough to enjoy the title or the office or anything or, or speaking engagements. I mean, the real work of, of the chambers is in the writing and the reasoning and in the, the hard thinking that I think produces uh, better results and, uh, and, and results that are more grounded in the law. And I think ultimately, I'm not sure how much age really factors into that at the end of the day. A couple students have asked questions about how your experience clerking informs uh, your work in chambers now. So how, how, um, how was that experience um, relevant or important in your relationships with your clerks? Did you, did you carry anything in from your clerkships in how you structure your own chambers? Maybe I, well, I feel like I better, I better take that one first. Um, you know, I, listen, the, the um, I think clerking can be and was for me an absolutely life-changing experience. And let me tell you why. Um, for one, it's just a year of total dedication to the law and to the, to the backend analytics and the, the structures in different areas of law. It's exposure to wide ranges of law. But more than that, it's, a, it's basically a very close working environment. And I had just so many good memories of the year I spent with Judge Wilkinson. I, mean, I clerked with, with two other co-clerks who um, from really from the minute I met them were, were immediate friends and have, have been lifelong friends. And then from the judge, you know, you saw the thought process and you saw the process of writing. And if you think that um, I had the same reaction when I was clerking for Justice Scalia, the, the output makes it look easy, but the work that goes into it is actually quite difficult. And both Judge Wilkinson and Justice Scalia were master writers um, in, different, in different styles, but they had a great gift for explaining the why. And I think, um, the thing I took away most from the clerkship in terms of what I do now uh, is just the importance of putting out decisions that people can read and understand. And if, if their parties in the case to feel as though their arguments were treated seriously and answered rather than ignored. Um, I will say too though, that it really, it can be, uh, clerking can be really a mentorship and that, that certainly was, um, that way with, with uh, Judge Wilkinson and me. I mean, he took a personal interest in my life and my career. Um, and I would call him often and say, I'm thinking about doing this, or I'm thinking about doing that, what do you think? And he would give me his honest advice. And sometimes it wasn't something I wanted to hear, but it was usually pretty good advice. And um, 
you know, th these are relationships that are that are highly unique um, because it's a year spent together in um, sort of more confined environment dedicated to this craft. Um, but boy, was it a lot of fun. And I have to tell you, I mean, working for the judge was, there, there are so many stories. There's so many stories that um, I wish I could tell, but, you know, we would run around the track together and the judge just, you know, Judge, I don't know if you remember this. I mean, you, you would you would immediately pull up some in your mind some opinion one of us was working on, and you'd say, "Well, you know that in the second section, two C, uh, here's what I want to say right at the beginning." And then you would be just begin to dictate this incredible prose, and we would all be running around the track with no pens or paper, nothing, and saying, "Oh yeah, well, 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 got it, Judge, got it." And then we would go back to chambers. And we would all immediately crowd into an office and say, do you remember the way he said it? Because it is way better than what I'm doing. So, boy, I encourage all students to think seriously about clerking. I know you are, but um, I also encourage you to make the most of that clerkship once you get it and to treat it as a lifelong relationship. Well, Dan, those are mighty wise words and, and kind words. And um, I think there's a, a tremendous amount to be gained from clerking because if you look at it, that you're going to be spending 50 years of your career in practice or in pro bono work or in government or in teaching or what, you want to do something different for at least one of those years, and that would be um, clerking. And um, Dan, you're. Um, are much too kind in saying what you got from the clerkship because what I want to stress is that um, uh, this is, and I'm sure you would agree with me on this, is that, that, that clerking is a, is a two-way two street. And I want to say that there is nothing like an intergenerational friendship. Um, you, you you had it with me, you have it with me, you had it with Justice Scalia, and I had it with Justice Powell. And um, you can have friendships and relationships with your peers, and those are great and they're very valuable. And you can, but um, having an intergenerational friendship is really something special. And the neat thing about it is that I learn at least as much from my law clerks, and this is what I'm saying here is the absolute truth. I, I learn as least, at least as much from my law clerks as they learn from me. And if they don't, if they didn't know very much about um, the um, the Vietnam War and what it was like to live through that or the Reagan administration and what it was like to work for, for Ronald Reagan and, um, you know, what it was like to um, um, sort of have Elvis Presley come on the scene in the 1950s and, and, and um, have, uh, see the stern disapproval in the faces of your parents. And there are just all kinds of things to be communicated about um, uh, life in, in earlier decades and about um, my parents' generation and my own generation and and being able to talk to people who had fought in World War II and being able to communicate what they had told me to my clerks because I feel like the relationship with the gen between the generations is to some extent an oral tradition. You know, there's a uh, there's part oral history. And, but when I say it's a two way street, I learn so much from my, from my clerks about advancing technology and about um, modes of um, entertainment uh, as in in the, about the about music and the arts 
and about what the law school environment is like and the way that um, that, that that's changing and what undergraduate work, what undergraduate work is, uh, undergraduate life is like um, when they went to, um, when, when they went to school. And so I'm learning, I, they're opening up, my clerks are opening up for me um, a window into a, a younger generation's life that I, that I just wouldn't have um, I just wouldn't have uh, otherwise, and I'm so um, grateful for that. And um, I think um, one of the things you think about is uh, long after Justice Powell is gone, I think, you know, how much, not only that I miss him, but how much America misses him. I mean, and I think about it every day. We're so polarized now and we're at each other's throats and the, um, the civic culture is way too poisonous. And then I think of this man, Justice Powell, who was a great man of the middle uh, a wonderful moderate. Um, I didn't agree with him on everything, but invariably his views were suffused with, with wisdom and life experience and deep experience in the, in the law. And he valued his colleagues. Um, he tried to find common ground. So where is his example? Today, where is his example? And um, this is the kind of thing which if you really clerk for a wonderful judge, it's that kind of thing that you can honestly uh, carry throughout life and repair to throughout life. And I, I think of him often and the vision that he had for America and the, the way in which he thought in the face of international challenges that we would come together as a nation. And um, uh, and it is, it's not, not a day goes by that I don't think about him. And I know Dan feels that way about the many contributions that Justice Scalia has made to um, our society. What a wonderful justice he was. And um, so you get this it's mentorship, you see, and it doesn't it doesn't cease with death. The mentorship carries beyond the grave, and it's a, it, it, it's something that lives within you. And I know Dan feels that way about Justice Scalia, and I know I feel that way about Justice Powell. And we feel blessed, and I hope you'll have that same sense when you leave your clerkship. I think we might have time for one more question. And some of the students have uh, asked about the qualities that you look for in a clerk. And maybe if you have advice to students about things that they ought to be doing in order to prepare themselves uh, for clerkships. Um, I know this is something that, you've, that you both have thought about. And I wonder if there are just a couple points that you might wanna single out as especially important uh, for students who are planning to, to go in this direction. Dan, why don't you start in? Yeah, I'd be happy to. <clears throat> you know, I worry that um, the stress associated with the clerkship process has an adverse impact. You know, in my own case, things were probably a little different <clears throat> when I was in law school. It, at least for me, it wasn't something I was as focused on early on. And it was probably to my benefit because I was more focused on just trying to learn how to be a lawyer and to enjoy my classes and to make friends and to find out what I was interested in in this profession. And then the rest of it sort of fell into place. I, I guess, let me offer a couple thoughts. I think it's very important to realize there's no one size fits all. You know, I think that law students have great and diverse interests. 
And as you as you go through your law school career, you're going to take a class and you're going to say that, you know, that was it. That's it for me. That that fits me perfectly. And there'll be other ones where you just feel great dissonance and and where you realize it's not for you. And the same is going to be true of law jobs you have over the course of what will likely be a multi-decade career. For me, I'm, I'm looking for people who are engaged. I'm looking for people who are engaged and excited about practicing law and who have diverse interests and who care about uh, the federal courts and who want to make a contribution. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been blessed, obviously. I've been doing this a lot less time than Judge Wilkinson, but I can tell you I've had fabulous clerks. And the thing that they share in common is just a passion for learning. I always tell them, you know, when we get, <clears throat> when you guys do your clerk draft and it's your turn, pick the case that looks the scariest to you. Pick the one that you're most afraid of working on because that's, that's what this is all about. It's about challenging yourself. And the same is true in law school. I, I, you know, take tax. Will you be a tax lawyer? I don't think so. Not everybody will, but it's a great class to take because it's gonna test you analytically. Um, and the same is true of clerking. And so I think, you know, clerking is a great springboard, um, but let's not forget it's one year in the, in the arc of what's gonna be a lengthy legal career. And I want mostly law students to know that, you know, wherever you end up, whether you clerk or, or not, or whether you clerk right after law school or clerk a little bit later, these things all have a way of working out. Um, a lot of things happen for reasons you just can't figure out at the time. It certainly was the case for me. Um, <clears throat> but mostly I'm, I'm looking for people much like the people I clerked with um, who, are, who are good in chambers and who are able to fight back and to stand their ground and to help me uh, get to the right decision. Because I think um, there's a huge value in discussing legal issues. I saw that with the judge when, we, when I clerked for him. I mean, one of the great benefits of running around the track every day as we did is that we weren't burdened with books and cases and notes and we could just talk freely. And um, I encourage that in my own law clerks because I think when you're when you have that chance to set some of those things to the side and just talk about principles and to um, to do it without notes, I think there's a huge value in that. So that's a long, that's an answer to many questions, Micah, but let me just also say how grateful I am to the law school for um, the clerkship process. And I know, Micah, you're a huge part of that. And I can tell you, um, many of my colleagues here are, are thrilled to have UVA students and, um, I'm sure I'll have many who come through these chambers, but I also hope a lot of UVA students will think about spending a year out on the West Coast and joining us here in, in some of the many great states we have. Well, <clears throat> Dan, you, you make some wonderful comments. Um, I, I, I don't know that I'm looking for any one thing in law clerks. Um, I just look for a variety of uh, qualities that I think anyone um, would. Uh, Dan used that word engagement, and he's absolutely right about that. Um, I, I want people who, um, who really love the law as much as I do. I've spent my life with it, and I, I am intellectually fascinated by it. Um, it's a, like a very interesting sort of geometric structure, and I like to see how it fits. And I like clerks that will take the same pleasure in in seeing how law fits, and and will take the same pleasure in 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 looking at a legal at a finished legal product. And 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 getting that sense of satisfaction. Yes, this is how the different pieces of this of this case interrelate, and this is how we could answer the why, the not just the what questions, but the why questions. And um, so, I, I want people who share my unabashed love for law, with which I have spent my life. Um, and I, and I, and I, uh, so, so much of it, um, of what I look for in clerks are just a combination of qualities that anybody would obviously 
integrity um, is at the head of the list and a sense of discretion um, and a sense of uh, an ability to work well with other people, um, a sort of generosity of spirit toward other people and a, a belief that um, everybody in the courthouse is um, somebody you would want to respect. Um, I want to see a clerk who I think is going to say hello to the um, service staff in the courthouse and who's going to have a nice uh, rapport with the court security officers who guard us. Though are, uh, they're very important people, including those in the clerk's office and the library staff and so many others. And I want clerks who um, treat them with decency and respect. And I'm also looking uh, for somebody, uh, ideally, that would be a lifelong friend and that would um, uh, would keep in touch. And um, and I want somebody who who um, realizes that we have a very important job to do the legislative process acts on people with a broad sweep and in generality, but the judicial process acts on individuals much more particularly. And in some ways, when you realize just how much of a person's life is bound up in that case, um, it imposes a special sense of responsibility upon you. And I want clerks that are, are humbled in the in the face of that responsibility. One thing in that uh, I want clerks who will stand their ground. But one one thing that bothers me is if someone marches into an interview um, and feels that they have all the answers because they've gotten wonderful grades and they've you know been successful at each step along the way. Um, I don't um, I don't like arrogance um, because you know I've been on the bench for a long time and I have to tell you I'm, I don't I don't have all the answers and I and I, I doubt that I that I ever will. Um, there's a, there's a lot that I don't that I don't know and I want to be conscious of not just what I know but of what I don't know. And if somebody comes into to my chambers for an interview and and speaks as though they have every answer in the world, I say, well, my gosh, you know, this person has done in one year, you know, what it's taken me decades to do. And and I don't like I, I don't like that. I want a certain sense of modesty and gratitude and this feeling that, you know, being a graduate of the University of Virginia Law School or some other top law school uh, and getting a, a getting a good clerkship and having a wonderful career stretch out in front of you. Um, I want you to, you know, understand that just how much you have been blessed. Um, you are among the most fortunate people in the world. And so there's no real room for being jaded or cynical or arrogant. Just just feel feel your blessings um because uh really there were there there are people all over who would give anything to be in your shoes and you should have a certain sense of of modesty and humility and gratitude in recognizing that and Micah, before we leave i want to thank you um for this wonderful conversation and to tell you how much I've in, enjoyed it and how much, again, I respect um, everything that you've given to the law school. And I want to say also that I could not um, be with a finer person and a more loyal friend than Judge, uh, Judge Brest. And having his friendship is really a one of the true blessings of my life. So 
try. Thank you, Micah, and thank you for to the officers and members of the Federalist Society for making this possible. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Judge Bress, you want a last word? Well, I mean, you know, it's, I wish we could all be in person. I really do. But um, I think what we're learning in COVID is that these online conversations and phone conversations can actually be almost just as good. And, and um, you know, I, I'm just deeply appreciative and touched by, by being asked to be here, but um, mostly UVA was, was for me where it all began um, for my career. And I feel like I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the law school and to all my uh, professors there, all my classmates there and to Judge Wilkinson, um, who I view as part of the larger UVA community. And I think we should all recognize we have a very special thing going on at the law school. And I think there's um, just so many wonderful uh, features of the law school. And Micah, you're, you're at the very top of that list for me. And I'm like the judge, I just, um, I'm just deeply impressed by you and the rest of the faculty and the students uh, that, I, that I continue to see. Um, I saw them as a lawyer, uh, you know, new associates coming in. I see them now through my clerks and through the clerks of other judges, but I think every, every student should know that um, there's a great career that's ahead of you. And um, it's thanks to people like Micah and mentors like the judge that, that those kinds of things are possible. So thanks again for having me.